You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I want to go tonight to 1 John chapter number 4, and uh, we're going to get right in here. We finished last week, uh, I think at chapter 4, verse number 3. So we're going to continue on, and I'm going to pick up here at verse number 4. And we're in our series, Be Real, Be Real, because this is where uh, John is bringing Christianity, truth. He's dealing with a lot of big issues like uh, false doctrine, uh, like Antichrist. That's pretty drastic stuff. And then uh, while he's dealing with this, he brings it down uh, uh, to us, practical things for us. We talked last week about uh, testing the spirits trying the spirits. He talked about that, very practical things and what that was all about. So we unfolded that a little bit last week. So we're going to continue on and we're going to pick up right here in verse number four. So let's start, let's set the context again for us. So let's go back to verse number one. And he's sort of starting a new thought here after he gets on uh, uh, the subject of love in the church. And so he says, beloved, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherefore ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. So he's establishing some things. He's going back to what he talked about in chapter 2. Antichrist is going to come. There are some false things. There are some things that you've got to be wary of. And so he's giving us practical license to test or to try the spirits. Don't just take this uh, uh, just at face value, but put it to the test. And we talked about how that was, that we test it by what the message is. So it's not, so we actually have a practical way to test that. So we're not just, uh, for lack of a better word, hocus pocus, you know, is this of God or not? Um, you know, you walk into McDonald's and say, is this of God or not? This, it's not, it's not that kind of thing. That's not what we're doing. Um, if you walk into an establishment where they're everything against God and righteousness and the word of God. I don't, I don't have to give you a name of an establishment. We live in Illinois. We, as soon as you come across that river, you see all kinds of junk and filth and places. I, I try to find a semi-truck to follow alongside so that company or individuals, family in my car can't see the, bull, the billboards, Right? Because I wouldn't bring that stuff into my home, and here I am just trying to drive home, and it's right there. So um, you don't tell me, well, pastor, I pulled up in the parking lot, and I tried the spirit. I didn't feel anything. No. You can try the spirit before you ever get in that parking lot. Amen? Is this all right, folks? Some, turn to somebody and say, be real. Be real. See, this is what John is saying. He's saying, be real. Don't, don't come to me and tell me that. You can test it. You can try it by what the message is, what they're saying, what's going on. So now he, he, he says in verse 4, 
Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about false doctrines. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting thing. He said, you are of God, and you have overcome them, the Antichrist. And he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How many love that scripture? Man, I love that scripture all the time. We use that scripture. We, we use that in our preaching. That's a good message. When, when uh, church isn't going very well, you just throw that one in there. And everybody gets excited about that, right? I mean, that's, sometimes that's where we, we relegate that verse to. But if we really want to understand this verse and the power of its context, what John is talking about here is he is talking about truth versus error. And he's saying, you have overcome the Antichrist because you are of God, and because God is truth, and his truth is in you, and his truth has laid the path forward. You're not going to fall prey to sin. You're not going to be entrapped by sin because God is light. Isn't that what he says in chapter 1? He shed truth in your uh, life. So now you see, so you are not going to be overtaken, let's say, by uh, false doctrine or antichrist. You're not going to be overtaken, if I put it in our common language, you will not be overtaken by a lie because you have been exposed to the truth. Amen. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about truth and error here. And he says, you have overcome them. You've overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? You've overcome the world by the truth. It matters what you believe. It matters what you think. What you know, what you, you receive in Revelation has leverage over all of the other things of this world. So God has given you, amen, an ability, a greatness. And this is what John is saying. Look, you have overcome them. And then why have you overcome them? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? Antichrist, everything that's contrary. What's in you? Truth, light, God, love. That's what's in you. And because he's in you, you have overcome the air, the false ways, the, 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 the antichrist, because he's greater in your life. I'm not subject. I don't get up and live in fear. Oh, God, today, am I going to make it? I hope I'm saved today. I hope I don't do something that's wrong. You understand what I'm saying? I don't get up and look. We, don't, we ought not get up and live in that fear. No, the Lord is with me. The Lord's my guide. You know what? I have his word. I've read his word. I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible, but then I've read through parts. I remember as a kid, uh, Bibles was a highly valued thing. My parents bought me my first Bible. I think it was at my first birthday, and it was the little uh, blue Bible. It had the picture of Jesus. It was an actual text Bible, regular KJV, but it had the picture of Jesus sitting on the hillside teaching, and, and, uh, but it zipped up. I had a really nice edition. It zipped up, and if you open it up, I've got crayon marks all marker in, in there, all over there, because I got in there, and I played with that Bible, and I used that Bible to preach, and then I graduated to a better Bible. When you get older, you know, like seven, you don't want to be carrying the Bible with pictures on it. You know, you want to act like you're older, so I had to have a bigger Bible. And so I got a better Bible. And then I remember my parents from my eighth grade graduation, which they don't do that much anymore. From my eighth grade graduation, they went out and they bought me a Thompson Chain reference Bible, which is the study Bible that I have right now. Not, uh, this is like my fourth one, I think. 
And, uh, but that was the first one I had. And I got into that Bible and man, I started flipping through that Bible and I would learn it and the parts that stick out to you, I'd underline. And I encourage everybody to underline and highlight. I know people that say, oh, I never mark in my Bible. It's the holy word of God and it is the word of God. But for me, when I remember things, I recite it by visual remembrance. I know which side of the page it's on. When I can't find a verse, now, now we're all spoiled because we have the Bible on our phone and you can look up every word. But before, when you didn't have your commentary handy, I could flip through my Bible and I could say, okay, I know it's on the right page up at the top. And how many times have you opened up your Bible and flipped through the whole thing, looking only at the one corner of the page, looking for that verse that you remember you read and there it was, it stuck out to you. And I wore that Bible out. By the time I graduated from Bible college, uh, uh, seven years later, with that Bible, it had contact paper wrapped around it. I had electrical tape on the spine. I had filled up all the pages of notes, and I retired that Bible when I graduated from Bible college because I had worn that thing out. But I remember being in high school, and I was in my cubicle there, and I was reading my Bible, and I was underlining it, and I would take little uh, uh, passages and scriptures and I'd read it through. And I remember somebody asked me, have you ever read the Bible through? And I thought, well, man, I've been reading the Bible so long, I probably read it through. And it was then somebody challenged me to read the Bible from beginning to end without pause, to read it all the way through. So I started in high school reading my Bible from beginning to end. I, I, I didn't always finish uh, in a year, but I always finish. And then I'd go back and I'd, I'd read it back through. And I've read now through translations. I've read it. I'm reading it chronologically again this year. And I'm going to tell you, every time you read it, you learn new stuff. But how many times when you go back, you can quote it along. You see that and it's there. And all of a sudden, without even knowing it, the word of God gets inside of your heart and it gets inside of your spirit. And I'm no one special. You, you've done this. You can do this. But when the word of God gets inside of you, I've got the word of God as a defense. You can't come and preach to me something that's going to change me because I've seen it. I've read it. I've memorized it. I've studied it. This is what he's saying. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when you know the word, you cannot be swayed. You cannot be uh, convinced otherwise. But then I've got something better than just the knowledge of the word of God. I've got the Holy Spirit in my life. And so the spirit of God, I don't wake up and worry because if I'm going to enter into something that I'm nervous about, the Holy Ghost is going to prompt me. And how many have ever felt a check in the spirit, as we say? You know what I mean when I say a check in the spirit? Not just a check in the atmosphere, but like, you feel a check in your spirit that like, no, God's, this is not what God wants me to do right now, or this is not of God, or I need to get out of this place. There's a check in your spirit. And God, I trust the Lord. I can trust the Lord because God is not going to lead me down a false path. Now, man will. I would lead myself. My human pride would, but the word of God isn't. So greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, a lot of times we use that just to think about empowerment. Oh, I got power. I got power. And we use that. And we only quote that verse out of context with no other context. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we're thinking as if, well, I can go conquer. I can do ever, uh, whatever I want. I can achieve all my dreams. I can achieve all my things because greater is he that's in me. I can do whatever I want. Uh, uh, through Christ, I can do all things. But in the context of this, it's because truth is alive inside of your heart. So if you don't value truth, 
then you haven't got anything. But if you value truth, then you can stand in confidence. Hey, and we're going to look at this because later on he's going to say this is our confidence. Look at what he says. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. But we are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth, heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Antichrist, false doctrines, false prophet, the spirit of error. Now, if you want to highlight that, you can. There's two things here. And we won't totally get into this, but you can do a study on the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We live in a day and age. People talk about fake news. Fake news isn't something new. It's been around as long as the devil's been around. That's what Eve fell prey to in the garden. That's what Adam fell prey to in the garden was fake news. You eat this, you're going to be like God. You do this, God won't kill you. This won't, there, won't, there won't be any punishment. That's a spirit of error, a spirit of error that entices. If you go to Proverbs, I think it's, oh, I can't remember which proverb it is, but Proverbs, one of them, uh, uh, he says that it is the spirit of adultery or the adulteress that tempts people by saying bread eaten in secret is delicious and water that's stolen tastes so good. And when you look at that, what the psalmist or what the, the, the wise man is writing, what Solomon is writing in that proverb is the foolishness. I mean, I like water, but water tastes like water. That's it. And I like bread, but bread tastes like bread. And when you do it in secret, it still tastes like bread. And when you still steal the water, it still tastes like water. But the enticement is it's better if it's stolen and it's better if it's eaten in secret. It's a spirit of air. And he's saying the reality is it's still bread and water. All the while, wisdom, is it, is it maybe Proverbs 14? Wisdom hath spread her table. And there's a feast and there's an abundant thing. And yet we'll walk away from the table that God has plenished, replenished for us or provided for us to go partake of the crumbs of things because we're eating it in secret. There's a spirit of air that is alive in our world today. And John is saying that we don't have to fear because truth is in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so that's where our confidence lies in. Amen. So uh, hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's go to the next point on the slide. And the next point in our uh, outline, I believe, is simply God is love. So we've left the testing the spirits. We're going to go look at the rest of this chapter tonight. And it is this, that God is love. Verses 7 through 21. So we're going to read through here. But I want to give you, if I can, three things about God is love. Now, I don't have a slide for this, so you'll just have to write this down. And I'll say them a few times. Three things about God is love. Now, when we come to this part, this is sort of a restating of what we covered in John uh, chapter 3. And last week we covered John chapter 3, 11 through 24, and that was the implications of God's love. But here he's going to focus again on the fact that God is love. He's going to highlight the essence of God, and he's going to get into that, and, and he's going to reiterate what he's already said. So three things 
about the fact that God is love. The first is this. God is love. Okay, that revelation right there, the revelation of God is love, is the reason we are the way we are. The reason we are the way we are is because God is love. And by that, I'm meaning the model Christian, the mark of Christianity, uh, the mark that says uh, we are Christ-like. Remember, in Antioch, they were called Christians first. They did not self-name themselves. They did not uh, self-label themselves. They did not title themselves and say, we are Christians. Oh, look at us. Because that would have been an arrogant thing to do, to say, look, you know Christ, this great uh, uh, eternal God manifest in the flesh? Yeah, pretty much when you look at me, I'm, I'm like him. But they were identifying that there are traits in them that are Christ-like. And so they called them Christians. Uh, that's a good lesson for us. We should not have to wear a label to convince people that we're not of this world. I'm resisting a lot of temptations right now. So people can't meet you five years down the road and say, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. Right? That's what he's saying here. So uh, uh, we, we are the way we are because God is love. God is love, and that's why when people meet us, there ought to be something that they feel, they sense, they see, they recognize you're different. Now that difference... We don't, we don't elevate the fact that we're different. We're not different for the sake of being different. We're different for the sake of not being like Antichrist, like the world, the spirit of air. That's what we don't want to be. I don't want to be a spirit of air. I don't want to present myself to be one thing, but when people get to know me, I'm really something else. That is our culture to the nth degree. That is our culture, absolutely, in every... Uh, I mean, it's entered every arena from celebrities to entertainers to politicians. They say one thing and then you find out, oh, for years they've been something else. No, we are who we are because God is love. And that impacts us. So this revelation is important because it's what makes us what we are. It's the reason we are. Number two, it's not only the reason why we are the way we are, it's the motivation for being Christ-like. I want to be like Christ because he is love. So yes, he's changed me. And yes, uh, uh, when Christ gets a hold of my life, I am the way I am. I love, I, 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 I act different, I walk different, I treat people differently. It's, it's seen, it affects every part of my life. But that's not only cause and effect, he affects me to uh, the cause that he had upon my life produces an effect, the fruit of the Spirit. So as, as uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, but my motivation is I want to be Christ-like. So when I see myself fail, stumble, uh, stray from the mark, I want to come back. I want to say, no, I want to be. I want to be like Christ. When I'm not like Christ, there's this little conscience in me that says, hey, that's not acceptable. You've you got to get back to, to being right. You've got to get back to... And so my motivation to be Christ-like in all things is because God is love. So is it important that we have this revelation? Absolutely. And the third thing is this. Not only is it the reason why we are the way we are, not only is it the motivation for being Christ-like, which is our inspiration or our desire, but it is the testimony 
against us when we are not Christ-like. God is love. And the fact that he is love is a testimony against us when we are not Christ-like. If God is love, why aren't we? If God could love ugly, old, stingy, low-life me, why can't I love someone else? It's my accountability. This is my accountability. God is love. This is what John's saying. Not only is it God's love, so that's why it's made me. It changed me. It produced this effect in my life. God is love, and it, it not only produced that effect, but it makes me even more want to be like him. It's my motivation. But now it's not, only, it's not only the effect, it's not only my motivation, but now it's my accountability. God is love. And if I'm not loving, if I'm not kind, if I'm not sharing, if I'm not honest, if I'm not uh, 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 upfront and real, it's my accountability. It's my accountability. I, I, it sits as testimony. It sits as judgment against me. So these are three things, and I put those three things together. You see them in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, and you also see them here in this chapter as well. So let's read through here, and we'll go verse by verse, and we'll look at this. In verse 7, we'll go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now here's, here's an interesting connection, and I'll make this connection here. John does it for us, but I'll highlight this connection. John comes to us, he talks about God being light, and he talks about darkness, and he talks about the enmity there. He talks about us being sinners and having an advocate and having a redeemer. And then he talks in chapter 2 about false doctrine. He talked about the world, don't love the world. These things could be a trap. He gets in chapter 3, and he strongly talks about how we ought to love our brothers. And then he interjects in here this test, that we can test every antichrist. We can test every spirit. We can try every spirit. And then he sandwiches that concept of trying the spirits and testing the spirits with a follow-up passage about loving one another. You cannot, you cannot possess truth and be void of love. You cannot possess truth and be void of love. Now, if you possess truth and you're void of love, you really haven't got the essence of who God is. You could theologically and by the rule book have a list of truth and all the things you need to do. But if the love of God is in your heart, John says, you don't know God. Now, you say, well, I graduated from Bible college, and I have this theology degree, or I knew this, or I've read the Bible through 100 times, or I know all of this stuff. You can know all of that stuff mechanically. You can connect all the dots. You can understand all of that, and it still not be in your heart. This is not a, a religion that is only book deep. This is not a faith that only resides in your mind. This is something that is all-encompassing. Your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And you cannot escape that. You've got to let that work inside of your heart. Can I tell you, in our quest for truth, 
and in our desire to stamp out or to stand strong for truth in the age of spirit of error, we cannot let go of the possession of the revelation that God is love. Because you cannot have the Holy Ghost, you cannot have the Holy Spirit at work in your life just with head knowledge. It comes with the revelation of the mercy and the grace of God. That's why every service we come, we at some point, somebody's singing about the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. He loved us. It's our motivation. It's our inspiration. Thank God for that. So we have to hold both of these in our heart, in our life, truth and love. And so here's where he says, okay, you got truth, love. Here, here's how we know that the love of God is at work in your life. Here's how we know that this thing goes deeper than uh, uh, just sermonizing a paycheck, theology, just head knowledge. Here's how we know when you have the love of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He didn't say you don't know about God because you can know about God and not know God. But if you have not love, you know not God. So he just, in the first part of the chapter, gave us a test by which to test everything. And now he's giving us a test by which to test ourselves. You can test everything else by the message that they say, by the words that they speak. But you're going to test yourself by the love that you hold in your heart. The measure of my faith is not just based on, on merely my articulation or my ability to, to uh, rehash uh, theology and, 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 and present the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, but the measure of my worth and my value is, do I love? How many times in the Gospels did the writers tell us uh, that the Lord's motivating factor was compassion? He was moved with compassion, and a miracle took place. He was moved with compassion, and a miracle take place. You want miracles to break out? You want miracles to break out? Miracles never broke out without the love of God being present. You want to have miracles? You want to see the blind eye open? You want to see the dead raised? You want to see the lame walk? You want to see the blind see? You let the love of God get inside of your heart. And, and it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. You've got to have, you say, well, bless God, we, we know the truth. That's all right. It's good that you know about God, but do you know God? And the measure of whether or not you know God is how you love one another. This is where he gets real. He brings it down for us. This, this steps on your toes. This steps on your toes. Because we have all been guilty at times of going to church with people we don't like. And we don't want to love. Now, we're in a smaller church here. I grew, I grew up in a, in, a, in a larger church, so any Sunday that you showed up, there was about, you know, 1,200, 1,400 people at the time. So if you didn't like somebody, you just went to sit on the other side. You could park in the other parking lot. You could go to the other door. There were like, you know, eight large bathrooms throughout the facility. You could pretty much dodge people if you wanted. But here you're stuck. <laughs> we got one door. We got one way in. We got one way out. Amen? So you got to deal with it. 
And this is what John was saying. There, there's, there's realities. There's going to be times. There's going to be times where you're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna see things differently. You're going to do things differently. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's, there's stuff that's going to happen. That, that's reality. That's life. But at the end of the day, you, you've got to put it under the blood, and you've got to love. You love. Is this all right? Is this okay? And, and I, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching, I'm preaching from experience. There's times where I, you have to swallow your pride and you have to swallow stuff and say, okay, God, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know about this. And, and you go to church with people that you don't like and you go to, you go to, you go to service with people and, and you go to the altar only to find they're not too far away and they're praying and you're, you're over there saying, no, I, I, God, you ought to be blessing me. Why are they over there praying? Look at them crying. I'm just being real, and our human experience starts speaking all these things, and, and you get frustrated, and you get mad, and we have to realize God first loved us. God is love. He loved me when I was nothing. He loved me when I betrayed him. He loved me when I rebelled against him. He loved me when I was a sinner, and he loved me, and because he loved me, I'm here today. He gave me grace and mercy, and so I've got to love. doesn't mean I have to agree with him. doesn't mean I have to say that they're right. They could still be wrong. You can love a sinner, you can love somebody that's wrong, and still love them. In fact, loving somebody doesn't mean you agree with them all the time. The reason I disagree is because I love you. And I'm not in agreement with my opinion, I'm in agreement with the Word of God. That's, that's where we got to focus on. So I'm going to preach the Word of God. I'm going to preach the Word of God. And I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't come to church looking to step on people's toes, so to speak. But the Word of God's going to step on your toes. And I'm going to preach the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter my opinion. Andrew Romine needs to get out. Of, this is not, this, he, I, he has nothing to offer to you. I have nothing to offer to you except the Word of God. And God is love. So we go on. Let's go on. In this was manifest the love of God toward us. Okay, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God sent his only begotten son into the world. This is the only manifestation. This is the only offspring. This is the only brainchild of God, of revealing himself to the world. In the, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That logos, that revealed, that expression, the outbeaming of what God is, the God that we can't see, made himself seeable, knowable, tangible. God did this once, the only time he's ever done this in the existence of eternity, which means infinity. He did this once, and he came, and he died, and he suffered so that he would love you. He did not die for us because we were worth something. He died for us so that we had the opportunity and the potential to become worth something. While we were yet sinners, undone, without hope, strangers from the promise, Christ died for us. And think about that. Next time, you, you cannot think of yourself higher than somebody else because that person Christ died for. In their sorry state, he died for them. It's a harsh reality sometimes to comprehend because we, we, uh, we live in a society that uh, solicits hatred. Our movies, our, 
our entertainment, our media, our politicians, if they can just, if they can just push your button and get you to hate something, hate is a motive, it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool of manipulation. Get you to hate something. And so hatred, 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 that's how they justify things. If you'll hate this, then you'll be on our side. And hatred is natural. We hate the evil. We hate the sin. But it's a sobering thought to think that Christ died for the murderer. That Christ died for the terrorist. Christ died for all of those that are doing... Now, does that mean that what they're doing is right? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we concede anything or we're tolerating anything by saying that? Absolutely not. But according to my Bible, I cannot look at anyone and say I hate them. I can't look at anybody according to my Bible because as long as there's breath in their body, there is hope that if they would know the air of their way, and even after millions of slaughter and horrific things that are ungodly and unspeakable, if they would come to an altar of repentance, his mercy and grace is so great that God could redeem them just like he redeemed me. Because if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I end up? It's a sobering thing. God is love. God is love. And so this is what he's saying in verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't find God. We were not looking for an answer and found him. He provided himself an answer for us. We didn't love him first because, oh, I need that, so I'm going to love God. No, he loved us. That's why if you go back to um, our Absolute series, we taught it a couple years ago, and all we did was the eight attributes, eight unique attributes of God. That's all it was, seven weeks. It's on our podcast, actually. It's the first podcast series we ever put up. And I've referred to it a lot. It's, it's maybe not the, you're not going to run the aisles on that kind of series, but just understanding the revelation of who God is does so much for you. And on the very last unique attribute is God is absolute love. Absolute love. See, he is, his love is absolute. Our love is reactionary. His love is absolute love. He's the only one, the only being that can ever first love something. Because his love pre-exists us. Anything we do, we're responding to the love of God. Even if you hate God, even if you're in rebellion against God right now, you are still enjoying the benefits of God. The life that you have, the oxygen that you, that you breathe, the rain that falls, the sun that shines, the, the food that you eat, all of that is provided not because of your ingenuity, but because the earth exists here to sustain you on your own. And he's given you the good things with nothing else. He's the first one to love us. And our love can only be reactionary to his love. Our love is always a response to the motivation that he loves us first. I can't love him first. He predates me. And so he is love. This is what John is saying. Don't think that you showed up and love is yours to give and yours to hold. Love is not yours to, to somehow say, well, I'm going to give it here, but I'm not going to give it there. He's saying, you don't have that luxury. You're not the one that loved first. God is the one that loved first. And so all you can do is respond to the love of God. And in doing that, you've got to love freely. 
Herein is the love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then look at what he says in verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. Now, he's not throwing this in here as a problem. He's not throwing this in here as a bad thing. He is reiterating what God told to Moses. He said, you cannot see me, for no man can look on me and live. You can't understand. You can't even, that, that, that's an interesting concept. We can't even behold God in his truest state and our existence not be burned up. Our existence not, not be terminated. That's how powerful, that's how mighty, that's how glorious, that's how holy he is. And no unholy thing can exist in his presence. And so God who is unseeable and he's beyond our ability to comprehend him. He's beyond our ability to, to sense him. He had to make himself knowable to us. And so he did that. He revealed himself. He, he comes down to us. And no man hath seen God at any time. So what John is saying, look, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. What John is saying is if God, who you have never seen, has so greatly affected your life, and we've already testified that he has, he has greatly affected our life. We live with the blessing, the testimony of that every day. But if God, whom you have not seen, has greatly affected your life and you can love that God back, how can you not love something that you can see? Because they also are the handiwork of God. They are, they are the testimony that God exists. To the sinner, to the terrorist, to the, to the great, to the great uh, 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 person who is full of all kinds of evil, they even stand as a testimony to the fact of God's creative being and the fact that God made them and gave them free will. You can't get away from that testimony. And so how can you not have love in your heart? And verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is why he came. He came to reveal himself. He came to redeem man. No man with free will would ever exist. And so he came to redeem man and save him. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And so he's tying in the revelation of God is love to the understanding that Jesus Christ is the everlasting. Isaiah said he's the everlasting father. He's the mighty God. He's the prince of peace. He's, 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 he's the wonderful counselor. And he's saying that we confess that when we know that God is, uh, that Jesus is the son of God, we will confess that God dwelleth in us and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is Love And he that dwelleth in us dwelleth in God and God in him. Everything that underpins the revelation of God is the fact that God is love. That's why it's so important to understand this. It's, it's your motivation. It's everything. If you don't get that, you say, well, uh, 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 I can't teach somebody a Bible study or I can't tell somebody about God because I haven't read the Bible all the way through or I, I, I don't, I'm not able to speak. Can I tell you? You can just start with the simple concept that God is love. And you just tell about how God loved your life, how God has loved you, what God has done for you. And if all you do in your life is talk about the love of God, man, you're going to find a foothold there. 
and the Spirit of God is going to be able to come down and move. Miracles. That's all you have to do. You need to talk about the love of God inside of your life. Verse 15, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. The love of God, the truth, the revelation of who God is, is what gives us boldness or we can say confidence. Herein is our love made perfect. Our confidence is this, that the love of God is in us. He's going back now to this truth. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. He's greater. And so I have this confidence. So I know when the Lord comes back. So that means you ought, not, you ought to mature to a level where you're not having rapture scares anymore. Is that all right? You know? Uh, Brother Frazee's not here, so I'm going to pick on him tonight. Is he here? I don't, I don't think he's here tonight. He's not able to be here tonight. He was here the other day, and he was working, and he came in, and he set the alarm off, and he couldn't figure out, and so he called his wife, and then he called, uh, I think he called Shauna, and then he called uh, Matt, and then he called me, and no one answered their phone. <laughs> so he went back to work for about 10 minutes, and then he called, he called his wife again, and she, she had him come in and, and said, you, you, he said, I was pushing all the right buttons, but I had one button off wrong, and I said, I couldn't figure out what I was doing. And he finally got the alarm off. And I was thinking in my mind, I was thinking, man, have you ever done that? Have you ever called somebody and they didn't answer? You think, well, I'll just call somebody else. And then they don't answer. And you think, huh. And then you call somebody else and they don't answer. And then you call the fourth person. And now you're really in a, in a worry. Like, okay, wait a minute. You know, and now you're going to looking for signs of spiritual life left on the earth. <laughs> like, did I lose it? Did I miss it? Amen. Those are, those are good times, right? Oh, I got so many good rapture scare stories. Yes, afterwards. You're right, afterwards, right? But you ought to be maturing to a place in your life where sometimes I think people text me just to see, you know, or text somebody. They text grandma. I remember grandma was always the one I called first, right? Anybody else call grandma? I was thankful. I had a good grandma. And if I called grandma, I knew if grandma was here, then, well, the Lord hadn't come yet. So we were okay. And, uh, but you ought to mature to a place where you have confidence and say, no, I know, I know, I know in whom I have believed. I know what God is doing in my life. All right, so uh, now he comes down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love, sorry, thank you. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. This is what he's saying. There's no fear. There's no fear of, of uh, uh, what, what's going to happen. There's no fear. I know. I know what the Lord has done for me. I know what God uh, uh, has done in my life. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of uh, uh, hell because I know God has saved me. God's redeemed me. And so I don't have a fear of that. He's literally talking about eternal judgment. He's talking about eternal separation from the Lord. There is no fear because God's love has been at work inside of my heart. Now... He said, herein is our love made perfect. Our love is made perfect because we have the truth in us. That's what he's talking about in the context. So is it possible that the love of God is not made perfect in your life? Yes. Yes. How? By falling uh, prey to the spirit of error, by succumbing to Antichrist, by loving the world. This is what John is talking about. 
That's why when somebody gets up and preaches and says, hey, be careful, don't love the world. Hey, watch out for false doctrine. Hey, don't, don't hang around things that are involving the spirit of error. Hey, don't, don't live under the influence of antichrist. They are preaching those things out of love because it is possible that the love of God not be made perfect in your life. And if it's not made perfect in your life, then there is a fear. There is a, a, a fear. You call it what you want. Some people call it uh, old-fashioned conviction. But there's a fear. We need, we need a revival of conviction. I'm praying for a day where we have revival of conviction where we can be in service and the Holy Ghost moves and somebody is acknowledging so much that they come running to an altar. You, you ever seen somebody do that? I've been there and somebody comes to the altar right in worship service. They don't even wait. They, they've got to get their heart right with God. Right in the middle of the preaching, something, something's preaching. They can't stand it any longer and they get up and they come running to an altar and they empty out their pockets and they take things and God, I've got to get rid of this. I've got, got to change my life. God, get a hold of me like that. And then when the Holy Ghost comes in, they leave and they're a different person and there's a confidence in their life. Because God's gotten a hold of them. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. I'm going to tell you, when the love of God is inside of your heart, you can go through valleys in this life and God's going to give you an abiding peace that passes all understanding. Peace that passes all understanding. We were talking to your mother was here Sunday evening and she was talking about how God, she was telling me, brother, oh my God just gave me a peace that I can't understand through all of that thing. God gave me a peace through all of her surgery and cancer. And I was sharing how my dad told me the same thing. He said, Andrew, I've never experienced the peace of God like I've done at the point of death. God gave him a peace. Can I tell you, that is the power of the love of God inside of your heart. Can we thank the Lord tonight for his love? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. We love him because he first loved us. And if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Somebody say amen. Can we lift our hands and thank the Lord tonight? Amen. Brother